Welcome to the 236th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with novelist Karan Bajaj, author of The Yoga of Max's Discontent. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is best-selling writer Karan Bajaj, author of the new novel, Yoga of Max's Discontent. Karan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. A real pleasure to be here. Sure. Well, can you read two or three pages from your new novel, Yoga of Max's Discontent? Yes, absolutely. I can. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I'm going to read a page from the uh, the early part of the novel when the character, when the protagonist Max first comes to India, because it gives a sense of the Indian Himalayas, which is a little bit of a unique part of the world. And it also a little bit lampoons the Western spiritual seeker as Indians would do, which is typically not talked about in the in Western literature much because there's a tendency to exoticize the Indian experience. Um, so here we go. Right. The road became narrower from the Uttarkashi bus stand. They crossed a low-lying cement bridge just inches above the river. The riverbank was lined with debris, bricks, concrete, truck tires, engine parts, and tree branches. A cloud burst here five months ago, said the man. Seven days of non-stop rain. People, houses, trucks, all taken by the river. Some people haven't even been found yet. The roaring angry river below them was so close, Max could touch it. Any moment now, the river could rise and drown them, like it had drowned hundreds of others. Or the weak bridge could break. How fragile this body, this life was. The jeep lurched. Max held on tight, feeling a renewed sense of purpose for his journey. They crossed the bridge. A 20-foot-tall iron statue of an Indian god with long, matted hair, sculpted muscles, and a trident in his hand stood incongruously on the riverside. Pilot Pava's ashram, said the man, pointing to a cluster of white houses scattered next to the statue. If you want, you can stay here until the winter ends. Is he a guru? Everyone is a guru in India, said the man witheringly. Pilot Baba was just a regular pilot in the Indian Air Force. His helicopter crashed here and he had some sort of spiritual realization. Perhaps that there is more money to be made in this racket than in flying planes. So he became a guru. Max laughed. How did he find his disciples? No shortage of foreigners touring exotic India, he said. Pilot Baba teaches that man loses his ego during orgasm, so there is plenty of sex here. Westerners love it. Spiritual McDonald's. As if on cue, a dreadlocked white guy in just a t-shirt and shorts emerged from one of the houses. He shut his eyes and spread his arms out melodramatically in the frigid air. Max's face went hot with embarrassment. Was there really no difference between him and these 18-year-old hippies? He strengthened his resolve to keep pushing forward until he found a real guru. Do you want to get off here, said the man, slowing down his jeep? I'll pass, said Max. There is a man further up in Bhojbas I want to visit. The roads are closed beyond Bhatwari. I'll take my chances, said Max. Uh, I can stop here if you want. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. No worries. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about yoga and Max's discontent yet, how would you describe your novel? I would describe... uh, the novel as both a very page-turning adventure through hidden India and a journey of personal transformation. 
And I think both aspects are extraordinarily important to me because uh, I set out to write a spiritual slash self-transformation novel that had no message at all and no presence of the author at all and could just be read like a thriller. So so the journey through hidden India's secret ashrams and hidden mountain, uh, the hidden Himalayas and uh, surreal night markets, those are very integral parts of the character's transformation. Sure. Well, you've had other novel, other best-selling novels published, The Seeker, Keep Off the Grass, and Johnny Gone Down. And I know after your second novel, you were stuck as a writer until you discovered the link between meditation and silence and creativity. Can you talk about what you discovered? Uh, yeah, thank you, Jeff. It's a good question. Um, I think what was happening, though, was actually even bigger than being creatively stuck, uh, in in the Indian tradition, we have this idea that man's journey is a little bit like an eagle flapping its wings high, then bringing it down. So kind of like your purpose of life is to first experience and grow through the experiences in the world. So like keep pushing your wings higher and higher. And then you have to kind of bring the wings down gracefully and go within. I think what was happening with me in my life was that I had experienced a lot in the world and my writing at least the first couple of novels were very much about people figuring their place out in the world and what was starting to happen with me was a more seismic change in which I was going I guess I was feeling that the world of experiences was incomplete and I was trying to go within a little bit and I think there was this this tension between who I was becoming and what I was writing about I was still writing about experiences in the world while I think what was happening to me was becoming more and more internal and I think the act of like meditating and silence just just helped me once again to truly kind of center my life again and um, and and like I guess gave the spark to this novel. Yeah. Sure. And what was that process like for you? I mean, didn't you didn't you go to to um, um, on your own kind of quest in terms of, of meditation and retreat? Yeah, uh, I've been following over the last decade or so what I call like a 414 model in which I work for four years and take a year off and then work for four years and take a year off. And it's almost like that. It's not like a year off to write or something like that. It's almost four years of very goal-driven activity and then one year of submerging myself into conscious goallessness, like basically diving into nothing almost. And 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 I've done, I've done this over three cycles now. So over the last decade, I've done it three times. And uh, my first two sabbaticals were very in the world. Like I was traveling and living in like South America and Bhutan and Mongolia. So they were very in the world. This sabbatical was kind of like timed very well with where my life was going. And this sabbatical was truly like an internal quest, if you will. So out of the one year, my wife and I spent five, six months in an ashram up in the Himalayas. And we were in like pretty intense silent meditation for 30 to 40 days out of that period and then the rest of the time we were learning to become yoga teachers and in a very kind of a very tight disciplined way deepening our practice of yoga and meditation a very very remote place up in the mountains where we had like almost no connection with the world for for a good five six months and then the other five six months was really like part of the journey was uh, traveling from europe to india by road without plans at all so really arriving in scotland which was the cheapest flight from new york and having no clue at all what the next day would be and just kind of drifting along, arriving to India. And then on the return back, I stopped in Portugal and um, and just wrote in a burst. So it's almost like for the first nine months of the sabbatical, I didn't write a single word. And then I wrote the whole novel in a three-month burst in Portugal. Wow. Yeah. And so so how would you des- how would you describe, if you can, a 30 to 40-day silent retreat 
for someone who who's who's listening. <laughs> uh, so it's a very good uh, question in the sense that it's very tough. But part of the tradition that I have done this in is uh, vipassana, which is uh, like a silent meditation retreat in which you pay for nothing at all, right? So you don't pay for food, lodging, the instruction. It's almost like for thirty days, somebody is taking care of all your needs and teaching you meditation. Uh, so I, the reason I'm mentioning that is because what happens with that kind of a system is that you truly become a monk when you enter the retreat. and you are coming with a begging bowl you have paid for nothing you have no right to demand anything so i think that softens you a lot right at the starting point right because if you came and paid for some very luxury spa retreat and you paid like 3000 dollars you would have a lot of expectations on what you want what is good are you enjoying it are you not enjoying it when you are just being cared for and given two meals a day by people and given a, a good decent enough place to stay you're just like i have to like there's no complaining i have to fully surrender to this experience so i think almost that's the starting point is that the infrastructure the way it's set up allows you to be a little bit more of a monk than a demanding kind of new yorker almost so so i think that's kind of part one but then once you do it it's very tough like irrespective of that mindset you are very um you you just struggle a lot because it's very rigorous it's not like you can just sit in your room and think they wake you up at 4 o'clock with a gong and you have to like get out of the room in pretty cold environment and like go to a meditation hall and you have to stay still with your back erect for 2 hours and you have to keep doing that for almost in that we sleep for 6 hours and out of the remaining 18 hours we are really meditating on the clock for 14 hours so it's very intense for both the physical part like just sitting and then the obviously the emotional turmoil that is like you know you're just confronting your thoughts and i guess what a battlefield your mind is sure yeah. i i did a i did a 3 day retreat one time a silent <laughs> retreat i can't imagine 30 days yeah 30 days is yeah <laughs> by the time you come out you're very kind of like shaken up in some form or the yeah, other yeah i think rigorous yeah. would be the word that, that's yeah, a good yeah. word so if if someone listening is a writer and they're struggling with either their own life um issues or or their own writing and creative issues how how would you recommend that they kind of explore using meditation to help them with their own kind of creative struggles or life struggles that they're dealing with couple of thoughts the first thought is that i the true benefit of meditation beyond these 30 day retreats or one day like those deep dives of silence are what i've seen in my own life is that my action reaction cycle has delayed a little so what that means is that if there is any irritation with the world frustration with my writing i guess there is a part of me that doesn't immediately react by being frustrated or irritated or angry or upset or even happy a part of me is just spontaneously noting that uh, emotion in a, is arising in me in which i'm getting angry and just the act of noting dissipates the force of that reaction why that is so incredibly important is because it gives you a tremendous amount of like psychic energy back because if you think of our life it's a constant action reaction cycle like we get like we're always constantly like even this act of like feeling that you are frustrated and that you are stuck and you are blocked that's a action reaction constant loop in which it's very hard to find that space of silence in which you are just observing that emotion arise and i think that kind of so that i think is the biggest part of meditation that it allows you gives you a lot more psychic energy back because you are delaying your reaction to every stimuli gotcha yeah 
Um, beyond developing a meditation practice, what, what advice would you have for aspiring writers who might be listening and are interested in writing their own novels or short stories based on your, your experience of, of writing four novels now? What, what kind of advice would you, general advice about writing would you give them? My general advice is that my writing is always constructed on two pillars, uh, entertainment and meaning. So if I can crack those two pillars well, I know that I'll write a great novel, right? So, or, or at least in my world, I'll write the best novel I can. So entertainment, if I deconstruct this thought, um, for me, both of the ideas of entertainment and meaning are linked to living a very, very big, interesting life. So if you're living a life in which you are constantly almost following the construct of a story, and you're a hero on a quest who's moving from the ordinary world to the extraordinary world almost constantly. Anytime you go to the extraordinary world and that also becomes ordinary, then you move to the next extraordinary world. And that means travel, um, uncomfortable situations, kind of constantly being a person on a quest. I think that leads to both greater meaning and greater entertainment in your novels. So I think that's my simple construct because what I've seen is that when people stop living that extraordinary life and stop going from the known world to the unknown world in the hero's quest kind of a model, even if they write a great first novel, their second, third and fourth novel starts ending up looking very stale because it's the same question of meaning that they are attacking in different kind of like uh, story envelopes. But if you're a person who's kind of constantly living this life of quest and bigness your meaning and the question that you keep ask, asking keeps going deeper and deeper. So with every novel, you are attacking a, a different almost and a deeper question. And then obviously the entertainment comes through living a big life. So I think that's my simple advice is to live a big, interesting life. Great. Are yeah. there books and authors that inspire your own writing? Yeah. And uh, I'll give you a surprising answer of the, perhaps the most inspiring novel for me has been Forrest Gump, the book, not mm -hmm. the movie. Uh, and and it's typically not mentioned as any great literature, but for me that I, I guess I don't know. I was like a a kid living in India in a very small town, and and I and I remember running into that novel because my aunt had dropped it in my house when she was visiting from the United States, and I I, I just read the book, and it just gave a lot of wings to my imagination. It almost changed my life in in a very significant way. I remember that particular moment that I'd read the book and started dreaming of a big life. And I don't know, I think that for me is the power of writing in which it's a very entertaining novel and yet has a very profound meaning to it about not believing in your limitations at all. Right? I, I So I, I almost feel like books like that, which are page turners and can be very simple to read, and yet have a very profound sense of meaning in it are very important in my life, are, are my biggest inspiration. So Forrest Gump is like obviously a classic one that comes to my mind. But uh, in the recent time, I've really enjoyed The White Tiger uh, because again, it kind of like makes a statement about India, but in a very page turning way. And it's very hard to find that balance now. Sure, yeah. sure. And, and how did you originally get interested in writing? Was it through reading that book or or... Um, what was kind of your writing journey like when you started writing fiction? And this one is a funny one because for the first 28 years of my life, I don't think I wrote a single non-technical word because I'm an engineer, an MBA, working with Procter, worked with Procter & Gamble in a corporate setting. So I've always been in a very corporate setting, if you will. And then I took a year off to travel, which was my first sabbatical. That's why this 414 rule is kind of like become very important to me. 
and i didn't intend to write at all i just took a year off and lived in bhutan and mongolia places like that that i really wanted to live in and um and 3 4 months into the journey i just started to write because i just had this very innate need to express what i was going through in my writing and then the novel ended up and at age 29 was a published novelist which became a like a number one bestseller in india because it was very fresh for india at that time nobody was writing about stuff like contemporary what contemporary youth were going through so so at a broader point i feel like this dive into nothing for me is so important because i didn't even know that i could be a writer and i started writing so now when i go for my one year sabbaticals i don't go with this idea that i'm going to write a novel i almost go with this idea that i'm going to do nothing and then in the last sabbatical i really did yoga and meditation honestly and just wrote for 3 months and that ended up becoming this novel that uh, ran amount releases soon but um yeah so so i would say yeah, like i think my writing process has just been like or my discovery of writing was through a complete period of silence of, of like absence of any goals at all yeah that's true so where can people find you online to learn more about your approach to meditation and creativity and writing um on karanbajaj.com which is my website uh, it has a ton of ton of content around how to meditate how to begin your meditation practice and then also how to write your novels and and i think the good thing is that since i keep my corporate job uh, i try to share things very selflessly i think there's no agenda for me i'm not trying to sell any um, like you know mm-hmm. material the material through it so i think it's pretty pure material in terms of my own experimentation and journey so yeah great and i'll have a link to that uh website in the show notes as well well uh, again we've been speaking with karan bajaj author of the new novel yoga a max's discontent the book is in bookstores now so go buy a copy and karan thanks for doing this interview thank you very much jeff this was a pleasure save big money on your outdoor project now at menards we have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat right now all fvp lawn and garden and marine batteries are on sale through may 5th check out our entire selection of fvp batteries today and view our weekly flyer on menards.com for more great deals save